We're in Beirut for a special episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined by Olga Kavrin, the former head of outreach and legacy at the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. We discuss the cost of impunity, budgetary constraints, and the potential shutting down of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. seems like we only do episodes when there's a crisis. I know. I was thinking about that. <laughs> so the last time we did an episode, I, it was the day of the blast. Yeah, it and was. It was crazy because I was trying to reach you to make sure you're fine. And because you're so committed and professional, I was taken aback. You insisted that we still do that episode about the special tribunal and the verdict. And we did it. And of course, that tragedy was in the background. It's been in the background ever since. And then today, or yesterday, the last few days, there's been news about budgetary constraints and that the special tribunal may be suspending its operations. And the case, the Salim Ayesh case, has sort of been put on hold. And (laughs) here we are. (laughs) So I'm glad that in the middle... Between August and today, we did meet. We had a pleasant exchange in person. That was a lovely afternoon, well spent. But um, for better or worse, I think uh, this country is plagued by so many different types of problems. And I thought that this one, this issue was going to be shelved, not in in a bad way, but in a good way, meaning that it would escape all the other issues that are plaguing the country. And now it seems like it's joining the club. So... I'm not going to say too much. I want to really pick your brain. And uh, you're very kind to even let me do this within hours of reaching out to you. Uh, Just from a few tweets today and a back and forth mirroring exchange, if you will, on social media, um, I sense that you're equally, uh, equally frustrated. And you've been expressing your opinions online about the, the purpose of the tribunal, the purpose of the verdict, the purpose of keeping it alive, not letting it shut down, Budgetary issues aside, it is central to, imp- to solving the impunity dilemma of this country, justice, accountability, all of the above. If you can share your immediate thoughts on, on where we are right now with that budgetary issue, but more importantly, where public opinion is on the tribunal and whether or not it's a fait accompli that it's actually shutting down or if it's too soon to actually say that the budgetary constraints will in fact end operations, that there may still be hope in that sense. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Ronnie. And it's really uh, a pleasure to be here. Um, and yes, unfortunately, yet another crisis. Uh, but what, what can we do? This one, however, is on the international community much more than on Lebanon, I would, I would argue. Because um, so 
where we are at the moment, and I'm obviously not here on behalf of the tribunal, I no longer work for the tribunal. So I'm expressing my own uh, opinion based on the knowledge that I, that I have and the information that I have. Uh, there is still hope that the international community will step up and honor its obligations towards the Lebanese people. I, to the best of my understanding, not all is lost as yet because we have seen dramatic moves at the tribunal. We have seen uh, the registrar announce that the tribunal is in a financial crisis. We have seen the trial chamber suspend, cancel uh, the pre-trial conference, the start of trial, which was meant to be on the 16th of June, we have seen them you know, suspend all proceedings until further notice. These are very dramatic moves to the best of my knowledge. This has not happened previously in international criminal justice. We have seen funding issues. Uh, the special court for Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone sorry, had funding issues. We mm. then that's that much was uh, made public. It, it, it had several uh, times it had funding issues, but it never halted proceedings as far as I'm aware. And it certainly completed its mandate and transferred its functions to a residual mechanism. Uh, from where we stand today, it appears that the STL is headed for an abrupt shutdown without even a residual mechanism, which is a common thing to establish in the aftermath of these uh, tribunals, because there are always functions, residual functions that need to uh, take place after a tribunal completes its uh, main mandate. But we're seeing none of that, as far as I can tell. And, and this is what the tribunal itself has warned about. We have also seen that the Secretary General of the United Nations has pledged repeatedly that the, the UN will step in. I mean, I'm talking about the years uh, uh, since the tribunal's establishment. Right. It's also set out in the documents yes. um, uh, relevant to the tribunal, where it says that in case of a shortfall, the international community will come up with alternate uh, funding mechanisms. Because as you know, the STL is funded 49% by Lebanon and 51% by voluntary contributions. Lebanon may not be in a position to pay. We know that the situation in Lebanon is very uh, desperate, but my understanding is that this is not the main problem. The main problem is that the 51% that comes from the international community is not being uh, secured at the moment. And this is something that is, it, it's a travesty. How do how can this same international community that established this tribunal, by establishing it, gave hope to the victims, and not only the victims of the cases at the STL, because these institutions are much bigger than that. They're all part of a system of international criminal justice, which exists for victims around the world. Now, individual organizations, individual um, uh, courts have very specific jurisdiction, of course, but, but uh, allowing the STL to grind to a halt because of funding issues, allowing it to stop abruptly on the eve of its second major trial is not gonna only impact people in Lebanon. It's going to have a much broader negative impact in my view on the whole project of international criminal justice. And this is why I feel so strongly uh, about this. Oh, good. I, I did not know that it's the international community's 51% that's at stake. Is, is the 49% from the Lebanese side secured or is that also uh, not being offered? Because I'm, I, I, I'm actually, I did not know that. Is it, is it from both camps or is it just the international community? My, underst 
my understanding is that the UN has pledged to assist Lebanon, so not to to cover for the for the contribution that would have had to come from Lebanon I see. as right. some sort of a subvention. Uh, I don't know the the, the, the technicalities of it, mm. but my understanding is that the UN has pledged to do that. However, we, there's still apparently no money from the rest of the countries that are meant to be supporting the tribunal. And again, uh, we're not talking about enormous amounts of money that these countries do not spend in many different ways on, on the fight against terror, of, uh, among other many things, right? So I just don't understand. Uh, uh, I mean, these institutions are run in the way that they um, in the way that they are they are certainly always expensive however however I will I will actually qualify that by saying as compared to what as compared to the billions of dollars that are invested all the time in the fight against terror as compared to the billions of dollars that are spent on weapons as compared to billions of dollars that are spent on aid in the aftermath of wars and conflicts and attacks and disasters as compared to what so this mantra and and you know prince zaid uh, from jordan while he was uh, representative at the security council back in 2004 gave an excellent speech that time it was about a debate it was a debate about the expense of the yugoslav tribunal so yes, this debate right. is not new at all yeah. But he gave a really good speech making these points, making the points about, for example, in the case of the former Yugoslavia, he worked out that the money that was spent for 11 years of the tribunal equaled to the money that the international community spent for one year of peacekeeping. So, again, you know, here we have a legal mechanism for the first time, an international court that is established to deal with terrorism. It's a it's a new it's a novel thing. It's the first time this uh, uh, we have such a court it, it, uh, established by the international community, and the international community is not letting it finish its mandate. That is something that that doesn't uh, make any sense to me. So I'm glad. I mean, I know you're no longer. You, you were head of outreach and legacy. You're not in that capacity anymore. But if anyone would know the answer, it's, it's you. Can you at least speculate as to why this is happening? Is it a broader problem that Lebanon is just sort of suffering as a result of wider budgetary problems? Or is this a, and I don't want to sound conspiratorial here, but is it a, this is a non-issue and let it sort of fade while other politics takes place in the region? Without getting too crazy about Iran and America and Vienna and regional politics, I, I, I can't understand why it's happening. And it sounds like you don't, you're also perplexed. So is there any insight as to why this is happening now? To be perfectly honest with you, I, I don't have any more insights than anyone else observing the situation right now. I mean, we can all speculate. First of all, we cannot discount the objective circumstances. I mean... The, the, the objective circumstances all around the world are, are obviously related to the pandemic, are related to, you know, uh, a normal fi enormous financial difficulties all around, are related to the fact that governments have other priorities, are related to all of this. Of course, they are. I mean, mm -hmm. it would be foolish for us to think that they are not. Right. But um, I also think that uh, in my view, in my assessment, I think that the vast majority of people who are making these decisions are not 
properly even aware of the tribunal's achievements. And there we can find fault within the tribunal itself and we can find fault in its supporters. Because uh, I think that, again, for a, a whole host of reasons, uh, not least of which is the budgetary crisis, mind you, which is not new. The crisis with the tribunal started mid last year. So it was, it was as a consequence of that budgetary crisis that outreach was abolished, for example, which uh, right. it should never have been, for example. That was already a consequence of a budgetary crisis yes. in, uh, in the tribunal, even though outreach is in the rules of procedure and evidence and should have actually been present until the end for good reason, because our job is to explain the work of the institution. What happened was, as far as I can see, is that nobody was really explaining the judgment. And the judgment was very complex. I spoke about it in my capacity as head of outreach until the end of last year. So I did do a number of webinars. I did try to, to uh, do uh, some podcasts and, 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 in other, and to do it in other ways. Obviously, you dealt with difficult uh, within uh, COVID. Diffi difficulties from me. <laughs> I, I sort of, I was a bit aggressive when we last spoke and, and just sort of our private. No. no, but I mean, so you, but you were very visible and then it was markedly sort of, it was removed from the discussion. And I, I noticed this myself in the last few months and sorry to interrupt you here, but I, I, I felt it in, in my own capacity. No I had to defend the verdict and it, it, it's, not, it's not my responsibility to do so. I was interviewed all over the place as to why the tribunal matters. And I was trying to make that case as well, that look, you have now a published report that explains the political reasons why these assassinations took place, assess, attempted and successful. 15, 16 years ago, and that there's a common thread and that you finally have some justice. And it was almost like, you know, why isn't this more mainstream in terms of communication? And it was visible when, when the outreach and legacy, when that whole, that whole aspect of the tribunal was no longer there, it's citizens trying to defend something and the international community not doing its job properly. And do you sense the same thing that this was in other words, going back to what you said earlier, that it's not Lebanon's job to do this. It's the tribunal and it's international. It's the role of an international body to do this and why it's not doing it. So I, a bit of mental gymnastics here, but it doesn't make sense that, that the pandemic would be the end of the tribunal or for that matter, some, uh, some figures that don't appreciate the achievements are letting it die and therefore it dies. That doesn't add up to me. So are there more practical maybe reasons that this is a bargaining chip? And I, I don't, I'm, without sounding conspiratorial, that this yeah. is something that's being discussed in other places and we'll just let it die as, as a result of getting something in return, whether, whether it's Vienna talks or, or any talks in the region. Look, if, it, if that is in fact the case, it will be the first time that this is happening. And it's mm. not because... Uh, various forces have not tried to undermine other international criminal tribunals. Of course they have. Right. But so far they've never succeeded. Mm. So it would be a shame if they, if, if in fact that's a case and if they succeed in, in, in this particular instance, but it's very difficult to speculate. I am yeah. absolutely convinced like you are that pandemic is absolutely not the main reason right. we have to take it into consideration because we cannot be blind to financial difficulties. We have to accept the fact that yes, budgets might be cut and mind you, the tribunal cut its budget by 37% right. yes. already. Right. Mm. So it's not as if, uh, that didn't happen. Mm. 
Um, and again, I have my own opinion and I've expressed that opinion publicly as well about the various mistakes in that uh, respect. And I will continue to do so because I think that lessons learned are very important and they should come from people who, who can offer constructive criticism. And so, you know, that's one thing. Um, in terms of uh, going back to the, to the issue of what is really going on behind the scenes, it is really very difficult to gauge because, uh, again, I think that a lot of it uh, comes from a genuine misunderstanding because, to be honest with you, in my experience working with diplomats, they don't have time to d delve deeply into every issue that's on their plate. So if the STL is one of the things they have to be looking at, they're likely to rely on media reports mm. on, on what's going on, you see. And media reports about the judgment mm, would not give you a very good idea as to what the judges found. In fact, I would argue that they're entirely, almost entirely misleading for the most part. Because if you read the media, you would be under the impression that this was all the work of one man. Well, that's pretty much the opposite of what the judges found in their judgment. Because the fact that they convicted one person at the threshold of beyond a reasonable doubt does not mean that they found that this was all a work of the work of one man. And they explicitly say that in the judgment. So um, you, but you, we have now a, is it more than a thousand pages, the report itself? I mean, it's a, it's a vast document. The summary I know 2000, is not that. 2,641. <laughs> so, you know, that I made it to page 1,000 after skimming. And the summary, the summary is accessible, but even the yes. summary is, uh, it requires some patience to go through. And just sure. without, I mean, not to dumb it down, but is that part of the problem that it just wasn't, wasn't explained in a, in a way that is accessible? And I'm not talking about, sort of dumbing down the process. On the contrary, this is a very long, very, very patient sort of process. It takes its toll, but there are many people that, as you said, media figures within the country, analysts in Lebanon and abroad, either sort of criticizing it, criticizing the process that it didn't do its job, or on the other side saying, no, this is the work of some American plot. And on the other side as well, one person, one person's responsible, get over it, move on. So it's, it's all misleading. Is that just, is that a problem of that nobody really knows that document? I, I don't know anyone that has read it here. I don't know anyone that's even picked up the summary. Of course. Yeah, so is that, I mean. Of course, of course that's a problem. Of yeah. course that's a problem. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a technical document. It's a judgment. Ordinary people who are not lawyers, and even most lawyers who are not specifically interested in international criminal law, are not expected to read such documents. And yes, the judges did, a, in my view, a very important thing by producing a 150-page summary. Right. Yeah. But even that is for lawyers. It's not for for um, other. Uh, it's not for other individuals. And so. Uh, it, that is our job. This is why outreach exists in all of these institutions. It's to explain because you have a uh, you have, for example, a um, you know you have the spokesperson of the tribunal, right? And she's doing a good job in responding to the media, mm -hmm. but the media is um, interested in what is news of the day. Once the news is done, right. they're not interested anymore. So she cannot help. I mean, you see what I mean? So she can still be doing her job, but not 
um, help with the with the with the explanation because it's not newsworthy anymore. You see what I mean? This is why there's that part of the job, the newsiness of it, and then there's yeah. outreach. And our job is to sort of explain more in depth so that people can better understand the news. And that's important. But also, it's not only that. It's also uh, there's people at the tribunal who should be speaking to diplomats, who should explain this to the diplomats in bilateral meetings. This is how it is normally done. I'm not sure any of that was happening. But that, in, so, uh, And that's you know? aside from that's non-COVID. That is just uh, sloppiness. Or is that, is that just an, an acceptance that this is shutting down? Let it fade? It, it just doesn't add I, up. I do not know. I do not know. Honestly, hmm. it was, it was you know, by, I can only guess as to why this wasn't done by others at the tribunal who would have been normally doing this. They were all, uh, I know that they were all overwhelmed with the whole budget cut issue. Hmm. So there hmm. is that. Um, again, th- there's many missed opportunities, unfortunately. There's many things that could have been done better. And, and when you add them all up, you end up with, 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 with well, one pretty large mess at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, I'm hearing this from you, and it, 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 it really, it unfortunately matches everything else that's happening. This, this phrase, missed opportunity. I mean, how many missed opportunities have we had for many problems within Lebanon? Yet, this is the special tribunal for Lebanon. It's not the Lebanese special tribunal in Lebanon. It's in The Hague. It's doing something that's bigger than Lebanon. It's, it's international justice. It's not, and it's not the Hadidi Tribunal. And, you know, I think it's you that referenced this on Twitter. If I'm not mistaken, I hope I'm attributing this correctly. You emphasized it, that this is not a, this is not one family trying to seek vengeance and, and, and sort of it's Game of Thrones-like It's not for, a private, exactly. Yeah, this is a real. It's not a private enterprise. It's not a private enterprise. And I hope I remember this correctly, a week ago or so on Twitter, you shared uh, a document circulating. It's the lawyers of victims from, and I think they're meeting tomorrow that there's a, a journalist of, uh, there's an event tomorrow for it's a press, a press conference, yes. right? For it's it, the attempted assassination of Elias and Mur, Marwan Ahmedi, and the successful assassination of George Hewi. Those all fall under the jurisdiction as well. So this is not just about Rafi Hadidi. It's, it's about Lebanon. It's about sovereignty. It's about impunity. That's always missing from the story. And I wonder if, well, yeah, can you, can you elaborate, can you maybe expand on that from your side, why you sense it's always been sort of a targeted uh, tribunal in Lebanon and at times abroad? Look, I mean, it was, a you know, the, the, the tribunal was, the way the jurisdiction is formulated is this is the uh, uh, tribunal has jurisdiction over the attack against, that killed Rafi Kariri and other attacks between 1st of October 2004, 12th December 2005, if they're found to be connected to the attack of Rafiq Hariri. So there is that primary function of the Hariri attack because all other attacks that would be under the jurisdiction have to be connected to it. Otherwise, they're not under the jurisdiction, right? So there is that. There's that Mm. objective fact. Yes. At the same time, once the tribunal's pretrial judge, at the request of the prosecutor, assessed the situation and determined, and this was years ago, that these three attacks that you just mentioned 
also fall under the jurisdiction because there is reasonable grounds to believe that they're connected. Yes. Already that was, we went beyond this being a Hariri tribunal. Of course, exactly. the investigation was conducted and we couldn't pre, you know, judge that. But then once the indictment came out in 2018 to, you know, accusing Salim Jamil Ayash of these three uh, um, additional crimes, then, you know, you, you now have reasonable grounds to believe that he and people that he was associated with are responsible for these uh, other three attacks. And right. again, we, the presumption of innocence applies, regardless of the fact that he has been convicted in the Hariri case. He still is innocent until proven guilty for the other three attacks. Mm -hmm. However, if the prosecution proves its case and, you know, everybody can read the pretrial brief, which explains, I mean, both the indictment and the pretrial brief, which are available online, which explain the prosecution's case, they can see why the prosecution believes that these attacks are connected and what, what evidence they intend to uh, present or what kind of evidence they intend to present in court, very similar to the evidence that they presented in the Hariri case to show that these attacks were committed in very similar ways by the same people and possibly for the same reasons. And so if, again, this is proven in court, and I'm, I can't emphasize that enough having, you know, <laughs> being a lawyer by education, if this is proven in court, it would tell a different, obviously different story to the one we know now of the Hariri attack on its own. And so, you know, that's, one thing, uh, more importantly, you cannot have two-tiered justice. And this is you know, something the victims also make a point of emphasizing in their yes. letter. Yeah. It's why are you know, uh, uh, victims in the Hariri case, both himself, the other 21 individuals who were murdered, and the 269, I believe, individuals who were injured, why are they more important than the, I think, 31 uh, uh, people and more, because 31 are participating in proceedings, but there's other victims who may, they, there might be other victims who are not participating in proceedings because that's their choice. So why are these other victims less important? Why are they less entitled to receive justice after having been waiting for all these years? And this is, this is what they emphasize in their letter. And, and it's absolutely true. And this is what they will probably talk about tomorrow uh, at the press conference. And it's, you know, it is absolutely true. It's tragic that victims of those assassinations 16 years later are now begging, or not begging, I look, that sounds condescending. They're demanding that the tribunal finish its job and that this is a, it's almost, it's such a sad state of affairs in this country. And, and add to that, if the tribunal does indeed shut down, if it's over, all these calls for an international investigation into the port blast, it becomes impossible to make the case. Exactly. This exactly. is fundamental. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we're going somewhere that's a bit, it's the, it, it, it just makes sense. You know what? Let's go there. We spoke on that day about the tribunal. We actually, we spoke while Beirut was scarred and people were dead on the streets and the city was torn apart. Let's go down this road. Can you imagine Lebanon making that case or Lebanese making the case for an international investigation if the tribunal's over? Because I can't see it happening. 
And to me, no. that means the criminals get away with it, with the international communities, not blessing, but neglect and perhaps incompetency for reasons that don't add up. So you tell me if I'm being too hard here and, and you can add anything you'd like. No, I don't think you're being too hard because things can be committed by omission as well, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. we know in law. It's not only that you have to do something, but if you fail to do something, you could also be doing the wrong thing, even committing a crime, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By omission. So if the international community is, is achieving this by omission, they're no less responsible mm. um, uh, for, for the situation. Same as the people who were negligent in the situation in the port are very much responsible for what happened and, and, and are responsible, criminal responsible for the death of others if it's proven that they were negligent in treating uh, uh, the, the, uh, the chemicals in the port. And yes, I absolutely agree with you. This is why I keep saying this is a travesty because it will have much broader impact. This is not only about the STL and about the victims of the STL. At the end of the day, we all know that the STL had a very narrow mandate. We know that. I absolutely agree with anyone who criticizes the narrowness of the mandate of the STL. But it's not the STL that chose that mandate. That's a different issue. Mm. But I will agree anyway that, yes, it, the mandate should not have been that narrow. That is true. We can also probably agree on a number of issues that should have been dealt with differently. We can also agree that there should have, maybe there were ways in which this all should have been done more quickly, that should have taken less time. Mm. Again, all these assessments can and should be made. We can agree that, you know, there's the decisions when they were cutting the funding last year, not all of the decisions were very wise. We can certainly debate those. None of that, absolutely none of that justifies an abrupt and, and uh, um, premature shutdown two weeks before the case is supposed to begin. The second trial is actually supposed to begin because it's, it's just, it's honestly, it's something that is, that is in my mind, a travesty. When you say narrowness, I, I just want to make sure I understand that it's the narrowness, meaning that it goes at the, the investigation targets individuals rather than groups, or for that matter, politicians in power no no it's not that no 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 okay. because the the individual criminal responsibility is something that's common to all of these tribunals so mm. I, it's not that narrowness that i'm thinking of it's the narrowness of the mandate in terms of the time frame i so see so that it doesn't it's cover from, you know the, it's right right yeah exactly it doesn't even cover the 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 assassination of wasan aid which Right. One would, you know, everybody argues is very possibly linked or the assassination of Wesam al-Hassan or the assassination of your father. It's all of these are potentially linked. There is the third aspect of the tribunal's jurisdiction. Nobody's even talking about that. So there, the tribunal has jurisdiction for attacks that could be connected, that were committed after the 12th of December 2005 if Lebanon and the United Nations agree right. with the approval of the Security Council. So theoretically, these cases could also fall under the jurisdiction of the tribunal, but nobody's even talking about that. We're not even, you know, and that's, not, that, that's another topic that I would like to have somebody discuss or explain to me. What happened to those? What happened to the related cases as they're called? Because there was an ongoing, if you read the annual reports of the STL, you know, the, the, it is 
frequently, you know, the office of the prosecutor also reports, obviously not in great detail because investigations are as they should be confidential, but there is a, a certain amount of information that is put out into the public domain as part of reporting on the tribunal's activities. And the annual reports contain that information about the office of the prosecutor as much as about every other organ of the tribunal. And they, they, they have mentioned repeatedly for years that there was an, you know, investiga investigations or teams were looking into the related cases. What's gonna happen with any evidence that they have uh, collected? What's gonna happen if the, if the tribunal shuts down tomorrow or at the end of July, as, as, as they keep saying, what's gonna happen with the evidence that's been collected that's obviously sufficient to have an indictment and to have a trial scheduled to begin on the 16th of June. What's gonna happen with that? Olga, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and I, I've already taken more time than, than I mean, you've, you've, you've been patient with me since we met. So I'm going to wrap it up with just a, and I'm trying to understand something about Lebanon's predicament. Uh, Lebanon would have to ask for assistance for other assassinations post December, 2005. It never did. That includes Wissam Aid, includes all the, the names that you listed, and, and there's others. And um, I is that part of that narrowness that there's an expectation that the sovereignty of Lebanon exists to the point that it can override the decisions taken by potentially one group that has the abilities to circumvent those decisions and the ability to keep committing assassinations? Because what you, the way you're asking it, 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 it resonates. And it also, in, in the very skeptical Lebanese um, uh, situation that I live in, it also, it falls flat as well. Because what you want is exactly what I think most Lebanese want, and it didn't happen. Is that, is that in that narrowness too? I'm not trying to be too hard on you here. I'm actually trying to understand it. That if, if Hezbollah says no, it doesn't happen. You have to wait for well, Lebanon to, to make a decision that would be going against the criminals that are committing these assassinations or, or even that individual who remains at large, Salim Ayesh, that the Lebanese state could not do anything about that. They couldn't turn him over. They couldn't turn him in. It's, it's impossible. So is that part of the narrowness or is that just politics that you want a, sub, you want a state to function first and then you can have that kind of relationship where, yes, Lebanon does ask for more assistance, because that's not the Lebanon that I remember the last 16 years. Look, I mean, let me let me I always take the long view here, because, yeah. again, it's the it's because of my experience with the Yugoslav tribunal prior to this. And obviously my experience of having, you know, coming from the former Yugoslavia, having seen the war and everything else. These tribunals are not necessarily established at the request of countries over which they have jurisdiction, right? I mean, that did happen with Lebanon, mind you, also, uh, uh, despite opposition, uh, internal opposition, right? Yes, right? Because the initial plan was to have this tribunal established by agreement between Lebanon and the UN, and that agreement was negotiated, it was signed, but when it came to ratification, there was obstruction, right? right. Which is why the Security Council uh, um, passed Resolution 1757 by which it established the tribunal, right? So it started working despite the already then very significant and very powerful opposition to its existence. This is not unusual. If mm. Lebanon was able to handle these cases, there would be no tribunal. 
So right, it, right. By, the, by virtue of the existence of such an institution, we already know that there's something uh, missing or something not functioning the way it should be in the country. Otherwise, mm. why, why would the country need international assistance? Right. We see the same situation happening in the aftermath of the Beirut blast, as you rightfully pointed out. The victims have been patiently waiting for something to happen. We have all observed what's been happening with the appointment of one investigative judge, with uh, the fact that the suspects themselves were successful in removing that judge from uh, the post, with the appointment of another investigative judge, with the investigation going the way it's going without any uh, results, with arguably investigative journalists providing more information to the victims about what happened than than the authorities. And so victims are getting very frustrated. They are, they are now, more and more of them are now demanding international assistance. And hopefully they will get it. And it doesn't have to be in the form of another tribunal. There is many different ways in which the international community can and should assist in such situations. The Human Rights Council can set a send a fact-finding mission. There's investigative commissions that can be established and are established because if they can establish the body of, of, of evidence of what's happened, at a later date, somebody can decide whether these people, if they're identified, need to be tried locally or could be tried internationally. That's a different issue. So not every single form of international assistance in these cases needs to look like a full-on tribunal. It can also involve uh, judges and prosecutors embedded in the local system. They did that in Bosnia. They created a court which included judges and international judges and prosecutors for a number of years until it was determined that they were no longer needed. But they were not, it was not a separate institution. Consequently, it was far less costly. There are different ways. But the point is Lebanon needs help. For whatever reason, I'll leave it to you and, and your compatriots <laughs> to identify all the different uh, reasons why Lebanon is in a state that it is. But it's quite clear on every level. I mean, if the World Bank is, is declaring Lebanon as the third worst case in history, Lebanon needs help. Something is wrong. I think, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe a baby doesn't see that, but any sane thinking individual does, right? So clearly Lebanon needs help on many levels. And this is why I think it would be a travesty for the, for the international community to fail it at this stage in this respect. I completely agree with you. And I'm glad you also emphasized at the beginning that in terms of just this narrow issue right now, which, is, which has profound consequences, the budgetary constraints of the tribunal potentially shutting down in, in, two, if in days, um, that that is that falls on the international community. That's one of those things that doesn't fall on Lebanon yet. You're absolutely right. Lebanon desperately needs help. And if I remember correctly, that's how we started that episode back in August last year. The words, the first words I said was Lebanon needs help. And it was trying to get donations to NGOs in Lebanon following that blast. And then we were talking about yeah. international justice. Yeah. And here we are again, talking about many things that, are, that have not changed, but it would be a travesty if the tribunal shuts down. And it's also a mistake in my opinion. I don't really care if you uh, sort of have your own sort of humility and your own sort of way of handling it. It's a tragic error that you're not still head of outreach and legacy. That's a, that's a fundamental error. And uh, it shouldn't be the job of 
people trying to fill your shoes. I mean, you're a natural fit to that. You've been in Lebanon for over a decade or about a decade. I don't know. You've been here for a long time. You've seen over a decade, yeah. Over a decade, <laughs> and you you found a way to explain it to many Lebanese, and you also met many of these individuals that were killed later. You have your own sort of principles from the from ex-Yugoslavia and, and the, the life you've lived in general. So that's a mistake. That's a flaw. And um, budgetary constraints just don't, they don't make sense to me, but I'll leave it there. Olga, thank you Thanks. for giving me your time today. And I, I really appreciate your words on, on this issue. It means a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks for your kind words as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>